Guys, I know you love him like I love him with all my heart. Hey, would you make welcome Pastor Pierre Maldonado this morning? Thanks, sir. I love you, buddy. Love you <laughs> well, I could describe myself as a short guy, but that's okay compared to him. <laughs> it's like, well, I remember. <laughs> it's like David and Goliath. Um, so, guys, it's my honor. Uh, so if you've, if you've been kind of keeping track, uh, we're now around the, the rotation of our pastors. Uh, we had, like, a special guest at one point. Uh, Pastor Aaron Halavin came through. And uh, so now it's uh, my honor and my duty to share the word of God with you guys today. And I'm excited that we're still in Ephesians sharing such a powerful book. It's so power-packed in, in six chapters, power-packed with the theology that sets a Christian on the right path. That gets you understanding his love and, and the spiritual blessings. And so it's, it's my honor to get to share this book with you guys today and, and study it with you. Um, and we really hope that this book of Ephesians has inspired you to know God more and to live more de- with more determination than ever before. I mean, I re- it, the word of God is, is so powerful. And if we just take it as like, a, like something to study and to kind of check out, then you'll miss the core of it. It's meant to transform it's meant to illuminate who God is and his love. And one of the greatest things I feel like I, you know, the honor of getting standing here is, to, is almost like stick up for God. All the lies out there about God and how he's judgmental and harsh and cruel, and that, those are lies. And the word of God illuminates this powerful love that transcends time. It transcends everything we could have ever done that, that would give us the right to say, we, or, they, or someone else the right to say that they're not worthy. And reality is we're not worthy. But he made us worthy. That's the crazy part. And that's why it's exciting to go into this. So let's recap a little bit. Last week, Pastor Chuck mentioned that in chapter 4, right, Paul shifted his focus from the spiritual blessings of God, right, provided by our Lord Jesus. And he begins to challenge us now on what our lives should look like as believers in Christ. And so as we shifted over to this focus... You know, we read how Paul challenges the church last week as a group to live in unity with one another. So you you hear Paul's heart. He's he's trying, again, go back to the very first message where we were talking about the context of Ephesians. Living in this massive metropolis, right, a a, a large city full of paganism and full of worship of idols. And, And Paul sets up there and all of a sudden goes from 12 people to like thousands, it says where the miracles are happening and, and, and healings are happening and, and revival breaks out everywhere. And from that little church that started with 12 men, it blew up to thousands and spread all over Asia. And the gospel spread. And finally to the point where Paul felt called to move on after this church had left. And so years later, he's writing these, these Ephesians and he's trying to remind them of the truth and the love that God has for them. And, and so you have this a picture of this powerful church now. And yet, he feels the importance of reminding them of the truth and where they're supposed to live as believers. Because if you know anything, knowing God and being a church believer doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle. And doesn't mean that you're not going to have some moments of doubt, fear, deception. And he was trying to make sure the church stayed on course. And so he's been given these awesome spiritual blessings. Remember the treasure box where we where it pulled out the blamelessness. He's made us blameless in Christ. Right? He's given us the deposit of the Holy Spirit. He's given us all these tools, these spiritual blessings, but that they're also tools in our understanding of who we are in Christ. And so now he's been laying all this out. He prays for them in, in, you know, chapters 1 and 2 and 3, and and he's just laying all this out. And now he's 
challenging them to live in unity. That's what last week was about. And I want to say this point today that Paul was writing to individuals in community. Think about that. Individuals, but in community. It's not one or the other. You know, we take the word and we read it for ourselves, but we also have to think, wait a minute, this also means the church, the fellowship that I'm a part of. We want to walk this together. You know, that's that, the excuse of like, well, you know, I believe in God, but I don't like church, so I'm never going to be at church. You know, not, you know, not just like a, you know, going on vacation or you need to take a break. You know, that's all good. There's no like obligation in the sense of, of a law mindset. But, it's, but it's, it's, it's a deception to not see yourself as a part of a body that's larger than just you and God. It's you incorporated with the body of Christ. It's the powerful. I mean, and really that's how you as an individual get stronger because you're being mutually edified by the word of God and by the fellowship that you, the relationships you you do life with. It's super important. Before I move on, I want to make sure, so switch over, sorry, to the uh, announcement. There's a new foundations class that we've been talking about. A, a couple of weeks ago, we brought it up as far as for uh, trainees and, and people that were going to be like um, mentors. And now we're getting ready to um, look into doing that. Um, March 20th, for anyone that's a new believer or someone that, you know what, you maybe feel like, I haven't really understood what, what I'm doing here as a Christian. How many of you ever struggled and said, what am I doing? What am I, what's the point of this, right? I'm reading my Bible. I'm trying to pray. I don't know what to do, and I don't understand. And so, you know, instead of, again, going it alone, why not go with someone to be your mentor and, and, and sit down in a classroom format for just a short time, an hour on Sunday. And that's coming up March 20th. And we want to encourage you, if you feel like, I don't know, I feel incomplete in my understanding you know, the core things about knowing Jesus and following him. Or you're new to, new to the Lord. Like recently, you just kind of finally made that, that decision to follow God. Join this class. It's a little earlier than, than now. But, you know, it's going to get you on the right path. And it's going to be edifying you, strengthening you to, to walk this life out with him. So I don't, I don't want to forget that. So today, we're going to read how Paul addresses us as individuals. Right? He shifted from the talking about the church and walking in unity. And now he's saying to individual believers, how we're to live out our faith. And you'll see towards the end that even though he's talking to us as individuals, he's also coming back around to how do I love others? How does my walk with Christ actually affect the way I treat others? And it's, it's powerful. So let's read the first few verses together. We're, we're covering basically today uh, verses 17 through 32 in chapter 4. And we're going to read the first few verses here. He says, therefore, and this is Paul talking again, after all the stuff he says, right, therefore, the spiritual blessings in Christ, what he's done for us, the, 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 the blessings that he's poured out and tools he's given us, therefore, I say this and I testify in the Lord, which another version I read says, and I insist on it. I tell you this and I insist on it. How passionate he's trying to say. He's testifying to the Lord, which maybe doesn't make sense to us, but that's what he means. I insist on this truth. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And because of the hardness of their hearts, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Now this is a strong section of scripture. And I want to I say before we move on too far, 
that I feel like you have to make sure you don't put on some kind of judgmental lens when you read that. He's stating the facts, but he's not condemning people. He's not saying something that he wasn't once, right? He, was, he struggled in that way. Although he was a Jewish um, follower, right, a Jewish convert into Christianity, um, he, he, in Romans he explains it very clear how, how a wretch of a man he was, right? So he's not calling out someone. I, I don't want us to ever think that we can sit there and just, just snicker and, and put down the world for what they struggle with. He's just laying out the facts. They're darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Due to ignorance, right? I've been ignorant before on how to change a tire, so then I'm sitting there with a tire flat and I don't know what to do. So I go learn how to <laughs> change a tire. So it's not to just put people down, it's to say this is the reality of what's going on and you've got to separate yourself, right? So when God speaks against the sin of the world, again, he's not attacking the sinner. He's wanting to set up a, a, a distinction by what we should live by now in Christ versus what the world just takes as de facto living, right? We have to have that distinction. We can't love the world so much that we become like them, right? Because we'll fail to be transformational and helping them transform. And we won't be transformed. He didn't just come to love everybody where they are. He came to transform us to what he's created us to be. And so there's an important part there. And it says they became callous and gave themselves over. And so today as we continue on here, we got we to gotta pause real quick and, and pray. But again, this is the challenge today that the Lord's laid down in his word. So, Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the wisdom in your word. It's not just calling us out and putting us down. It's calling us to more. It's awakening us from our sleep. Lord, we pray today that as we hear your word, we would not receive it in a way that condemns us because that's not what you came to do. You came to awaken us to our purpose and who we have in you and the life that you have the life in God. And so we pray today, Lord, I pray that everyone that listens today would receive your word with, with this understanding of a, fa a father who loves and is, in a sense, brokenhearted for the, for the sake of where they are, the state of where they are, and wants to redeem us. And Lord, I pray for everyone here that's gone back and forth, and as we get into it today, Lord, awaken us to, to really live in the truth so that we can change the things that you want to change in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Paul, again, is speaking individually here, and he's challenging us to stop walking or living like the world does, right? It says in the futility of their thoughts. And like I said before, Paul is also explaining the state of a person who does not believe in Jesus and is not surrendered to Jesus. That word Gentile isn't, I mean, back then it was kind of, you know, it was coming from the context of a lot of Jewish people got saved. And they already had a cultural difference because they believed in the law, right? They followed the Torah. If they were a law-abiding Jew as much as they could be, because the Bible says that no one could follow it to the T. But they had this concept of what God, who he was and what he wanted. And so he's trying to separate, say, don't live like the world that doesn't even know God. That's his trying to say. He's not putting down Gentiles. We're all probably Gentiles unless you're Jewish descent. And so... It's not putting anyone down. It's just saying don't live like, let's just say, unbelievers. Someone who just doesn't know. Stop living in the futility of their thoughts or their thinking. 
He says they live in this place, right? The Greek word for futility is, boy, I'm going to butcher this, mateotes, mateotes. And it basically it says it means emptiness or futility, pointlessness, right, frustration. I know what it's like to not know God because I didn't get saved until I was 12 years old. And there's this frustration that was gnawing at me and my family, just trying to make life happen, trying to figure it out, trying to be accepted, right? Who's, who's coming to Christ later in their life, right? And you, and you notice that difference in your life where you're just frustrated. You're, 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 you're trying to figure things out. You feel lost. You feel alone. And that's what he's saying. There's an emptiness there. There's a frustration in their life. Another way to put it then is pointless, pointlessness of their thinking, right? Because even though you're trying to figure it out, you're aiming all over the place and it's, it's aimless. And, and so Paul says that unbelievers have a darkened understanding as well. A darkened understanding. The Greek word for darkened is skoto. Skoto? Skoto? I really should take a Greek course. But it says, <laughs> I know, right? Or at least go look it up, right? Um, to obscure or to blind. That word darkened means to be obscured or blind. To be full of darkness. Or to cause obs- to be obscure or blind in the mind. Right? So there, again, I, I remember wondering, what's life about? Even at 10, 11, 12 years old, just starting to wonder what's life about. And feeling lost and feeling confused. And that's why we have to understand, if you saw a blind person down the, walking down the street, you don't automatically go, oh my goodness, that's, what's their problem? The opposite. You say, oh wow, maybe, can I help them if they're struggling, right? You, you have empathy for someone when you see that they're blind. May we have empathy for the world. Because it's not a matter of, well, we know the truth and they don't and haha, whatever. No. They're blind. They're dark. Their minds are darkened. Again, it's not to put them down. It's to say this is the state of a person that doesn't know the Lord. And may we be interceding for them and praying and finding and, and loving them beyond what they can, are capable of loving us back. Right? Your coworker that drives you crazy, can you love them <laughs> beyond how much they drive you crazy? Beyond the fact that they might not, you know, share the way that you try to share with them or try to be as helpful to them as, the, you know, Love them because they're blind. They're dark. They're, they're thinking whoever gets to the top wins. And that's not how it works when you're a Christian, right? So to be obscured or full of, of, of being blind. Here's a question, though. Let's take a step back because he first is challenging us not to do this, right? Don't walk like the Gentiles do. And so here's a question that I think this section of Scripture raises that's going to be a little challenging for us. Can a Christian be saved... And live like the world. Hold on before you start saying no. Paul clearly makes the case right here. He's talking to believers and he says, you can't be a Christian and continue to walk in some level of blindness or darkness in your areas of your life, which in time will weaken and destroy your faith. This is why he's imploring them. He's saying, I testify to the Lord. I insist on this truth. Don't walk any longer like the Gentiles do. Not because he wants us squeaky clean. It's because he wants to protect us from going back to a callous mindset. To a darkened mindset. And we've got to guard that. I'm not trying to be weird and like scare people. I'm just trying to be truthful because this is what the word illuminated this week. In fact, I believe that many Christians, and come on, you know some that have started with determination and passion for their new relationship with Jesus, but in time lose their passion 
or lose their determination due to temptation or condemnation. I mean, that's just the facts. I'm not trying to paint something dark and dreary, but it, let's just be real. It's a battle for our hearts to stay with the Lord. It's a battle for us to decide to live differently than the world. In fact, I got it from the source, the greatest source we can look to. Jesus explains this in the parable of the sower. He says that the message of the kingdom comes to people as a seed, right? And then he describes the different ways that people receive it. In fact, let's read how Jesus explained it. In Matthew 13, verses 18 through 23, he says this. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. So he just shared with them the parable of the sower, right, to the masses. And they don't really understand because he just kind of talks about some dude, you know, scattering seed everywhere. And some fell along this path and the bird ate it up. And then some fell along the, you know, the rocky soil and it just kind of sprung up and then died. And then some grew up among weeds. So he's, he's using terminology that they know, right. They know farming. <laughs> they know how produce works because they, they're living off of the land. Okay. They, most of them do it themselves, right, in some way. And so he, he starts this, this whole parable with the crowds, and then his disciples want to know what's going on, what's the deep tear, what's the, what's the truth. And Jesus says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So this is, again, what Paul is talking about, the, 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 the lost world, right, the Gentile world. Anyone who doesn't know him. That's the first one. And then he goes, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word, gets this, hears the word, and at once receives it with joy. So they could be a Christian. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. I've seen that. I've seen that in friends. I was a teenager, and I remember having fired up, you know, youth convention and getting excited and making a decision to follow the Lord. And then a few months down the road, they're back to their old ways. I did that a couple times. And when I finally made that decision, my best friend and I parted, kind of started going in this direction. And I had to make that call eventually to not really hang out with them anymore because it was apparent they were just, it, because of that, the word is calling out trouble for them because they're, they're still wanting to go live in the world. And so at some point it just pulled them away. And I just had to say, okay, well, I can't associate myself closely with someone like that. And so I love them, but I had to pull away. But, so that's what the rocky ground refers to, it says. And then it says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. This is, I believe, something we need to take heed here in the church. Because weeds don't come up sometimes right away. They slowly get, up in the, you know, get in there and they start to spread through the, the garden bed or, right, or, the, or, the, or the produce. And they start to kind of come alongside. So do we hear the word and then over time we still let these worldly thinking, self-centered attitudes drive us. And then the word of God, it says, it makes the word unfruitful. It chokes it out in our lives. Lord, help us not to be angry, bitter Christians. Because the word of God says we should be walking in joy. It should be, we should be walking in selflessness. Lord, help us that we're not more about our political party and, and tying that with the Christianity that we say we walk, and yet we're angry and bitter and self-centered and prideful. Guard us, Lord, from that. Because that is the seed, that, that's weeds that grow up and continue to live in worldly thinking, self-centered attitudes. And it 
and it literally chokes out the life of God in us. The seed then becomes unfruitful. And then finally he says, but the seed falling on good soil, that's the one we love to hear about, refers to someone who hears the word, understands it, and then this one who puts it, produces. So it says basically you're putting it into work. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown into him. Amen. He says in that parable then that the gospel or the word of God, which is the seed sown into our hearts, can be snatched away. It can be withered by trouble or persecution with having no deep root or being choked out by the weeds of life that grow around us. And some of these isn't pride. It's just anxiety, fear, worry, worrying about losing our stuff, worrying about losing something we hold on to more than we hold on to Christ. So here's the thing. Living like the world will cause you to become callous, it says in the first part, to God's leading, direction, and truth, and will cause us to chase after sensual desires and greed, right? Chasing the bigger boat, chasing the bigger car, chasing the bigger status. We all battle that to some degree. I, I was, for a season, I was in corporate world and I'm kind of chasing that, that title that I felt like I deserved, right? I've shared that before, and, and God had to deal with me on that. It says, why is that so important to you? Oh, you know, I'm sorry, Lord, you're right. So it's always trying to get into us, the worldly thinking, right? And the real issue with thinking and living like unbelievers is that that self-centered thinking and worldly goals, they directly oppose God's purpose in our life, right? He's not calling us just so that we could be the, the top of a pyramid scheme, right? He's not just trying to challenge us so we could be the, the, the best paid, well, most well-dressed person in the room. That's not what he, it, some of those things directly oppose his purpose. He may call us into a small place of, of surrender and ministry and service to others, right? He may call us to the mission field where no one's going to see all the things you're doing and it's just no one really respects you or you're just ministering to five people week after week. And that is, that is a glorious purpose. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, that's his eternal purpose for some. And he's going to look at us one day and he's going to say, well done, faithful servant. Well done. And he's going to shout and he's going to clap his hands for you and say, look. And then you're going to get the honor and say, whoa. All I did was serve cold water to somebody. All I did was minister to my family. All I did was do my best of my job to be a, a light and a hope. And he's going to say, well done. That's awesome. And nobody ever saw your name on lights. And that's going to matter to him more. That's why it's so dangerous to let the world rule our thinking because it's always about what can I do? What, how can I be recognized? It's the core thing in our sinful nature. And in Romans, the Bible says that it's a sinful mind is hostile even to God, right? It cannot please God. So it's important that we see that if we're living like, a, like the self-centered world does, then our perspective in life will be warped, okay? You'll still see something, but it ain't right. It isn't accurate, right? It's like looking through a funhouse mirror. Who's ever been in those funhouse mirrors? And you see yourself, whoa, you know, all weird. Or I, I couldn't get a funhouse mirror, so I have one here today that's just a warped mirror, right? All right? This is just one of those, like, mirrors you stick, you know, try to help people not hit each other around a corner. All right? So, but imagine your life. We all look at mirrors every day, right? Get up, you look in the mirror. Oh, boy, I got to fix that. I, you know, I got to fix my hair. Um, <laughs> or I wish I had hair to fix. Okay. Um, and so you look at the mirror, you're trying to check out what's right, what's wrong. Imagine your everyday mirror was only this. You know, you look at it up close, and looking at myself, 
I see myself as the center thing, like the biggest thing in this mirror, because whatever's closest and in the middle, right, looks the biggest. So there's warpness to this, this mirror. This type of mirror, you know, wraps around whatever's in front of it and warps it. In the same way, when you live like the unbelieving world does, your biggest focus in life is you. Right? I mean, it leads to all types of evil. Look at what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. A focus, self-focused on what they want, what they believe, and they're willing to hurt and destroy others for it. It, 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 it works itself out in the smallest ways with a little child that says, mine. And it works itself all the way to the worst evils in the world. Because a self-centered mindset is hostile to God. We're the biggest focus when we look at life through this kind of mirror. Let's continue what Paul says here. So that was the setup, you know, he's saying don't live like this anymore. And here's the really the fun part. Because that is, it says in verse 20, let's go to there. But that is not how you came to know Christ, he's telling them. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. To take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by self-deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Or some translations say the attitudes of your mind. Right, the purpose, the way you see things, the, the, the way you take on being a Christian is, hey, I want to get rid of that old self that's self-centered. I want to put on the new. I want to be renewed in my spirit. I want to be renewed in my attitude. And it says, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness. Isn't that awesome? We're not just trying to prove something. We're just taking on the likeness of God, the way he created us to be. He designed us in his image, and I believe that means his character, his passion, his love, his creativity, his talents. That's what he created us to be like, and, that, and we're finally going to then put that self on. And in that righteousness that he's given us, right, the cross took care of the fact that we could stand before him, period. Because if we believe in him, then he says, you're standing in my righteousness. I have the right to stand before the Father. Now you do. Isn't that awesome? That's the, the beautiful part about this, putting on a new self, the, what God created you for. It's not, you know, like in religious attitudes, you think, well, man, i got to get rid of all the fun in my life and become this stick in the mud and be in church and never do the things that I thought were fun or cool or, or everyone's going to laugh at me. And so that's the, the lie. And yet, no, it's saying, no, I'm awakening you to who you are created to be. You're created in God's likeness. You and I are created in his likeness. In, in, in his righteousness, we stand before him. And, get this, and purity of the truth. So he wants to purify us. He want, his point is to transform us into pure beings. And it, it's going to take a lifetime, right? It's going to take him cap, you know, redeeming us fully when we have the full inheritance up in heaven. But he wants us to pursue purity. Right? Okay. So Paul is establishing here this expectation for every believer to live by. Because here's the thing. The gospel emphasizes on becoming a whole new person. Right? Because it says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's what the gospel emphasizes. Becoming a new person in Christ. Becoming a new life. Not perishing with the world. And the New Testament is always contrasting between the old life and the new life. How many of you have seen the show The Chosen? All right, The Chosen. 
it was a great show. I mean, I just caught on to it. It's like been out for like two years or something. And we just kind of caught on to it a couple months ago. And, and it's, it's, it's awesome, all the cool creativity that they come up with, in, the in-between, you know, ideas of what could have been said. And, and all, the, all the wrapped around the big points of the gospel. And, and uh, one of the great lines from the char- one of the characters that I heard, and I'm like, I loved it. It just struck me so strong. It's when this character Philip kind of joins the group, right? And he had been a disciple of John. And he's talking with Matthew, which if you've seen, Matthew is painted so interestingly. He's like this kind of weird, nerdy guy, right? And we never think of Matthew that way, but he's good with numbers. And, 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 and he's walking and, he's, you know, Peter doesn't like him. And, and, P, and Philip says something to Matthew. Because Matt, Matthew's like struggling with why is he following even. He knew like he, he responded, but he's like still lost, right? And he says, everyone in your old life is playing a different game than you now. And I was like, whoa, that's a powerful statement. Everyone in your old life is playing a different game than you now. Meaning... The game for the world is for themselves, right? He became a tax collector early on. He was, you know, he rose, you know, was making more money, he says, than his, his family altogether and all this stuff. And he's just saying, but I don't understand, you know, because he says, you've only felt relief with him, right? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, well, understand this. Everyone else in your old life, they're playing a different game. They were chasing the law. They were chasing perfection through obedience in the law. They were chasing money. They were chasing status. They were chasing, you know, only, you know, doing what was going to make your life work out for the best. And he's saying, you're playing a different game now, dude. And I thought that was so cool. It helped Matthew to stop and go, oh, wow. You know, they're, they're not going to get me anymore. And that's okay, you know. And, and see, the game that the world plays is for themselves. They, they play the game for their own success, their own pleasure, their own comfort. And the game believers in Jesus should be playing is to learn to live and act like Jesus, right? To live for his purpose, which is to know him and to love others, to care about others, to win them to Jesus. That's the challenge we all have gotten, to play a different game. So if that means that I, I lose out on that promotion because I stand up for Jesus, then you know what? It's okay. I'm going to lose out. If I lose out on friendships that I, I really used to hold on to, but they don't, they don't see it my way and they're not going to want me to, to talk to them about Jesus, then okay, you know. Whatever it takes to serve Jesus, that's the game we're playing. We're not even on the same court, guys. It's not like you're playing by different rules. We're living life differently. And so that's what we got to remember. Early Christians had been taught this apparently because he's saying, hey, you didn't come to know Christ this way, right? He was assuming that you heard about Jesus and the way he told you to live, right? So early Christians, they learned and they were taught to discard their old way of life. The thinking that they had the way before, the way they lived before they came to know Jesus. I want to ask you a strong question today. How did you come to know Christ? How did you come to know Christ? Did you get an accurate understanding of the new life you were saved into? Did you? Sometimes we get saved and it's an emotional thing and it's beautiful, but we don't really ever get more out of that. Like I said before, when I was uh, lost, I mean, uh, we got saved and we had no idea what was going on. We literally had zero clue. We just went up there, got prayed, got saved, filled with the Spirit, and then we're like at home like, what happened? (laughs) And thank goodness that church had like a visitation team back in the day. I don't remember those 80s and 90s, people had visitation teams. And they came to our house, they called, said, hey, can we come over? And we're reading the book of Job to us, you know. And they're like, whoa. Number one, it's the book of Job. And don't go into that book. It's really crazy. Like, that's not where you start, okay. 
And they got us into the book of John, and they started sharing the gospels with us. And then, oh, you know. So I didn't have an accurate understanding, but luckily it came quickly. Have you, let me ask you another question. Have you gone beyond a salvation prayer in your life? Ask that to yourself. Have I gone beyond the salvation prayer, or did I think I'm okay after that? Have I even thought about it ever since? I hope you've gone beyond that. Have you realized and identified areas in your thinking that are the formal way of life? That's important, guys. We have to learn to look at ourselves. It says, look at yourself soberly, right? Don't esteem yourself higher than you ought, but with soberness, look at yourself. Right? Because we have to identify things. What, that's a formal way of thinking. My irritation with that is not okay. I got to face it. I got to deal with it. I got to correct it. And so I mentioned again in my testimony. And so, in fact, we were so lost, we were like... The 1980s American culture lost person, okay? We had, you know, it was partying, drugs, bad music, television shows, even terrible house decor, okay? Now, I don't mean like just tacky. I meant like we had a Buddha statue in our house. We had a Budweiser mirror in our house. <laughs> we had rock band posters all over the walls. So we didn't know Christ. We just didn't know. And, and so... When we came to know Jesus, we had to take off that formal way of life, right? And even those are, those are the apparent things, the obvious, right? It's like, whoa, okay, I should really watch my mouth and I really should get rid of all this stuff. And we were like all excited to break all this stuff apart. And people were like, no, don't do it. We're like, no, no one's going to get this stuff. It's bad, you know. And, uh, and so we were super fired up. People thought we joined a cult. I mean, it was one of those kind of situations because we were just on fire for God all of a sudden. And so... Even if, though, you've come from a normal home, the enemy and the culture still is pushing on you. Chase fame. Chase greed. Chase promiscuity. Be racist. It's okay because you know what? You don't want to get along with them anyway. And prideful thinking, just thinking you're all the deal. That happens to any home. Any challenge is going to be through that TV, you flip it on, and it's going to challenge you in some way. Right? And so it's not to say you cut everything off. It's just, no, I identify what's not right. And I'm certainly not going to make provision for the enemy on the darker things that are out there. Because I want to honor Jesus. I want to take away my former way of life and put on the new. So Paul equates coming to know Jesus with being committed to doing away with our old way of living. He, he puts those two together. Some of us now that you hear out there in, in script, you know, churches and stuff and, and, and you, you hear sermons out there that are like, whoa. They don't bring up the part that he says get rid of your old way of life. They just say just come to Jesus. And that's incomplete. It's incomplete. Because Jesus says, when you come to me, you've got to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Then the life begins. Then true joy comes. Then true excitement. Then true purpose comes. And so, again, it's not to be a downer. It's to say, no, come up to the real life that you've been missing. To begin living in a new way. A way that we are going after God's likeness in righteousness and in his likeness in purity. Of truth. That's what it says. And see, when you finally put on the new self, then you finally have the right perspective. Because this is an accurate mirror. This mirror is going to show everything the way it's meant to be. If I look at this mirror, I see myself, but I still see the right perspective. I see everybody there, and it's not, like, warped. And I'm not the focus. So this is the kind of accuracy that God wants in our lives, to see life accurately, 
Because again, who wants to be chasing all the money, all the fame, all the things, and then wake up one day right at the end of life and say, whoa, I blew it. I, my mind was warped the whole time. I missed out on what God had for me. I didn't care for my family. I cared more about myself and my job and my, my success and my pleasure and my comforts. And you're going to regret that you saw it. And yet, you could say you're a Christian and yet miss it. Nothing is distorted when you look at it through Jesus' lens. And everyone's reflection in the mirror is just as equal as yours and you begin to value everything around you because you see him in everything. You see people for who they are. And what God wants to do for them, not just what he wants to do for you. The warped perspective of the world will tell you, hey, be true to yourself. Right? As if you're going to ever have a hope of finding out anything looking at yourself. If you grow up even remotely insecure and you're going to let your life be, be true to that insecure self, you're going you're to shy away from people. You're never going to walk into the light that God calls you to. You're going to never speak to anybody. You're only going to be close to people that like you. You're going to miss out on so much. Be, be true to yourself is a joke. I mean, that's not true. There's a truth that came before us. And so the other word perspective of religion will tell you that you have to live up to a certain standard before God accepts you. That's work too. Come on, look at all the weird cults out there. The people do like unbelievable things and harm others and harm themselves because they think that's going to make God like them. Or catch a UFO and go to heaven with him. Like, there's some whack stuff out there. And it's warped. It's missing the mark. It's so weird. And the, you know the, one, the, the crazy thing? It's still centered around them. It's still, what can I do? I can, get, I, can, I can achieve more than you now because I'm pleasing God. Or I'm in this only truth that only we know. It's ridiculous. So here's the thing. It's neither one of those lies, right? Instead, we are to live out of the transformation that God creates in us. God starts this process. In fact, the transformation in you and me has already happened at its core if you believe. You're not the same person if you've believed in Jesus. Can you get that in your heart? We talked about that in the beginning of chapter 1 where he talks about he has adopted you as sons and daughters. He has given you an inheritance. He's deposited the Holy Spirit. That's all without us even doing anything or trying. We just put our faith in Jesus. So the transformation has already happened in the core of who you are. But we have to live it out. We have to begin to live it out. And when you see yourself through God's perspective and his purpose, then you can fully know God. Then you can understand his will. If you struggle to know the will of God, then don't try to just figure it out. Like just for the self-centered, like, oh, what's, what's, what's God got for me? You know? No, no, no. Go deeper into knowing him. Let him transform you. Let him speak over you what he says. I trust you, it's going to be encouraging and, 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 and lift you out of where you, th it's, I can't, I lost words. My point is, when you live constantly in this fog of thinking that you're not good enough and you don't think that God has something for you versus that person or how come they get this or they're better looking than me or they, all that stuff clouds the truth. And if you try to just figure it out in your own strength, you won't get there. But when you see yourself through his purpose and, and his perspective as a child that's loved, then you're going to know God. It's just delight yourself in the Lord, right? And he's going to add all those things around you. Read with me in Paul what he says in, uh, in Romans in chapter 12. And he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Again, by the mercy of God. 
not the expectation, not the hardship, not the, not the exact perfection of holiness of God. No, the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to him, to God, which is your spiritual way of worshiping, right? Spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect in his eyes. See, by his mercy we can do this. We can pursue perfection and holiness in Christ through his mercy because that's what gives us the start. That's what, that's what gives us the ability to renew our minds and be transformed. But it takes committing to God's values over our old values to really see a difference. And the process involves both our mind and our body. It's like a cycle. So I believe if you see, believe something to be true, right, in your mind, then you will act out your behavior in your body based on the truth. He says, seek me and you'll find me. Okay, so now I'm going to put myself in the quiet place and I'm going to go pray. I'm going to spend time with him. And then you start to sense his love and his presence. You start to see more in the scripture than ever before. So then what? That reinforces the truth. And then you do it again. The word says to surrender it all. Okay, well, I'm going to start surrendering this area. Boom. Then you're going to start to see joy. You're going to start to feel a difference in your life. Then it reinforces his truth. It's a cycle. But if we just stay in our minds saying, oh, yeah, I get it. God's cool. Yep, that's the right, that's the truth. And you never apply it. You never go and pray. You never spend time in worship by yourself. You never go and talk to someone and, you know, and, and, and dare to share the truth with them. Then you're never going to see the benefit of that cycle. You're never going to see your body come alive and say, yeah, that's true. God really did come through for me. I spoke and he, like, used words and they got saved. What? And then you're excited. And then you're willing to do it more. You come and you worship and you say, he says, you know, put on a garment of praise. Okay, I don't feel like it. Okay, I'm going to do it. Whoa, I felt great. He lifted that off my shoulders. The day went great after that. Then that reaffirms the truth. So what are you going to do? You're going to go back into truth and then apply it to your heart. And really that's what it takes, I believe, to, to live in this cycle. Let's continue now with the last section of the scripture. It says in Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, so we're wrapping things up. He says, therefore, right, so he basically said, put away the old, put on the new. And now he's just going to rapid fire us, guys. Watch this. Therefore, put away lying, speak the truth. Each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth but only what is good for building someone up in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed with him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Paul was not content in just explaining a big concept, a big principle, and leaving it there. He always wanted to apply that truth to different areas of our lives that need to feel its power. Right? This is how life is every day that we need to change. And he deals with the everyday issues that this new perspective should change. Again, let me hit you with them hard and quick. Stop lying. Speak the truth. Don't sin when you get angry. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Stop stealing. Do honest work with your hands. Have something to share with anyone in need. No foul language. Speak only what's good for building someone up. Don't grieve. And I put sadden 
the Holy Spirit or frustrate the Holy Spirit. Remove all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander, malice. Be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving one another. Don't you love how clear Paul makes it? This new way of living? By the way, thanks, Paul, for getting all in our business. I mean, geez, you had to go there, man. <laughs> no shouting, no anger, no bitterness, no nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Forgive everyone. It may seem impossible to live like that checklist up there. And that's not even comprehensive. There's got other scriptures that I find every little nook and cranny where we might try to hide and say, well, did you really did say that, you know? Because it all is covered under love and being love to others and to treating people right. But it may seem impossible to live this checklist. But remember that he is bringing this up after showing us all and, and, just, and, and talking about all the spiritual blessings in God. To be able to live like this. We're not doing it in our own strength. All too often, sincere people, I'm sure many of you here, I've, I was sincere at times, trying to live up to the standard without God's help. And yet Paul is saying this after. He's saying, therefore, looking at all the good things that God does, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, therefore, live like this. Don't live like the world anymore. So the first step to being able to accomplish all of that is to understand and settle that issue of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Reminders, we are adopted as his children. He's given us an inheritance in Christ. One day we're going to get the fullness of that, right? And to be able to know him, that's what he's given us. The, one of the greatest treasures is to getting to know him, to be holy and blameless in his sight. He has deposited the Holy Spirit into your heart to be able to hear and learn from Jesus Christ himself. Right? Jesus says it's better that I go because if I leave, then the Holy Spirit can come and he can teach you all things. You and I and the Father are going to be one. So we have all that. So let me close by saying this. The true gospel, it really resets our thinking. That's what the true gospel should do in us. It resets us. Not just comes alongside of my life and how good it feels to be doing what I'm doing and God's coming along and cool, now I don't have to worry about going to hell. No, it's resetting our thinking. That's what the real gospel does. It's calling us from our old ways of thinking to the new way of thinking. His way. It refocuses us on the truth. And I feel like that's the beauty of the word of God. It, it constantly helps us refocus. Refocus. Because what? Our sinful nature goes, yep, I'm going right back down that old road because that person said something I didn't like and now I'm ticked off at them. Or, you know, that old temptation, man, it's creeping back. I feel like it's going to take me over. The word of God refocuses on truth says, it's okay. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. That's what the word refocuses us and says, okay, whoo, thank you, Lord. I'm back to right on track. And so the full gospel teaches us that. In fact, it's the light of the gospel that dispels or pushes out the darkness we talked about, Right? The lightness has come and it, and it just dispels darkness in our thinking. It takes us away from that warped view. So we need to identify old habits and beliefs. Not in a, in a, in a you know, taking an inventory and saying, man, I am the worst. Dude, like, I stink, man. I didn't want to write that down because that's like, I'm a horrible human being. That's not what I mean. I mean, write it down and take it to the Lord and say, God, these things, these old habits and old beliefs, they don't honor you, Jesus. I want to honor you, right? That's the heart of a real believer. I want to honor you, God. 
So help me replace them with new ones. You can, you can have help with that. If you have, a, like, struggles with addictions or struggles with how you feel about yourself and depression, all that stuff, we have to celebrate recovery. Join something that's going to strengthen your heart and join something that's going to give you life and help you see the truth in the midst of a lie. Don't be, don't be too proud to, to ask for help. The greatest thing you can do is say, Lord, I need it. I want to honor you with my life, and I know I struggle with this area, so Lord, can I come alongside someone? The new believers class we talked about, if you're feeling incomplete and you don't fully, you're like, I love this, but I don't understand, get involved in that class. Find a way to get the foundation of Christ in you. Ask yourself, what part of your life does not look like Jesus? Again, in the light of his mercy, I'm not saying condemnation. I'm not saying get down on yourself. Even if you've done this, you've been a Christian for 30 years. I'm not, don't ever let where you're at put you down and put you away from the Lord and, and cause you to live in condemnation and draw away from the Lord. It's just saying, oops, okay, I get it. I see that area of my life. Let me step into the light, right, John 1. Let me step into the light because I'm not going to be afraid to step in to what the light is revealing. That's the heart of a Christian to say, okay, that doesn't honor you, Lord. That part doesn't look like you. Man, let me step forward into the light. Let me paint a picture like a stone cutter, right? Starts with the big square of stone and he chips away at the stone to reveal a beautiful statue. I've heard it said that. It's a euphemism. So people have said this a lot. I'm not like doing anything cool and new. I'm just saying. I heard it and I was like, yeah, that's good. And, uh, you know, like the sculptor, I mean, the, the stone cutter doesn't look at the, the stone and, and say, where, where do I go from here? He envisions that statue and he starts to chip away those parts that don't look like Jesus. With the help of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not on your own strength. It takes repeated obedience. Just like it takes that repeated chisel. Boom, 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 boom. Let me break that off and let me get on that little section. And, and that's the Holy Spirit saying, okay, now today let's worry about that. Like, don't, don't take it all on at once. Just follow the Lord. That's why it takes relationship. Because if you just looked at it as this big list and said, whoa, I've got a lot of changing to do. And you're going to try to grit your teeth and strap on the boots and say, I'm going to go tackle this. Good luck. You're going to fail. You're going to wear out. You're going to feel like it's hopeless. Because there's that old mindset that's hostile and it's got to be every day. Repeated obedience. Build the truth up in your life. Act it out in obedience. You feel stronger, more encouraged. You feel clear. You feel awakened. And then you just repeat. So let me give you that recipe right there that I just started talking about ahead. Uh, recipe for transformational change. Number one, renew your mind with God's truth. Not just what seems good. Go study it. Not just what you hear me preach even. Go study it in the word. Remind, renew your mind with God's truth. When you read something that's a powerful challenge or promise, apply it to yourself. Right? When it says you're adopted as a son or daughter, you say, man, God, I am adopted. I am adopted. Wow, God, thank you I'm adopted. Thank you, Lord. I just read that and that's true. When you start to buy into the truth, then you feel it on the inside. You feel it come out of you and you say, yeah, I'm adopted, man. Guess who's adopted, man? I'm good. I'm not orphaned. And that, that, that brings you joy. That brings you clarity of focus on who you are. Right? It could be a promise or it could be a challenge. And he says, get rid of that sin. Be, in your anger, do not, do not sin. Lord, I know I get angry, boy. Especially when that guy cuts me off on the road. All right, Lord. I'm going to stop being angry. I'm going I'm to let off the, the, the foot, the, the gas when they're trying to. I literally have had to walk this out. <laughs> My wife knows. She goes, why are you speeding up, not letting them in? I'm like, because they're trying to get in at the last second. They don't deserve it. 
And then it's like, nope, back it off, let them in. I'm still working on it. Okay. But we got to renew our mind with truth. Wow, it totally said something I didn't kind of say. Okay. Retrain your body then, right? You get the truth in your life, then retrain yourself based on that truth that you have heard in that area. Again, submitting to the Lord. And then repeat the process. It's simple. Repeat the process. That's simple Christianity, guys. It's not rocket science. It's not hard. It's just one day at a time following the Lord. Asking him to give you strength in the area he's called you to change. But do we ever ask? I'm concerned for those of you who don't ask anymore. I've had seasons where I didn't ask. And I'm just looking at all of my Christian life as, well, they were, they're like my enemy. They were treating me terribly. And I'm, 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 I'm the head, not the tail. And how dare they? And all you're doing is like living in this bitterness and living in the blaming everything else around you that's not working out. Getting weird in your prayers because you're calling down fire on people and stuff. Come on. And you're not sitting there saying, God, what about me? I got to change. I got to love them right now. You're putting me in this situation not because to make me miserable. You're putting me in the situation to learn to love, to be a light. We all battle this stuff. No one here is above anyone else. I've been there, done that, still do. But I want to change. And I hope you do too. Because that's what the word of God today was calling us out to do. And let me say this, never underestimate the power of repeated obedience. Never. Because that simple obedience of just, okay, God, you called me to get up and pray. All right, I messed up yesterday, but that's okay. I'm going to get up today. And I'm going to put in five minutes and, okay, man. All right, tomorrow I'm going to put ten minutes in. I'm going to get it. And then that repeated obedience builds that pattern in your heart to where all of a sudden you look back and, whoa, I've been spending half an hour with the Lord and it's awesome. And you know what? Just like you start it, it can go away, right? Repeated disobedience slowly starts to callous our hearts, slowly starts to make us think of the world with our perspective only. Slowly causes us to watch the news and get angry and anxious and furious and and exhibit all the stuff that you don't see in Jesus. You don't see Jesus angry at the way the world was. He wanted to change it and save it. Didn't mean he didn't call out the truth the way it was. But he sure wasn't shaken by it. I've heard a great preacher, a funny preacher talk about, you know, could you imagine Jesus just sitting there saying, man, I can't believe they're like wanting to stone me. And I've been going in there and healing people and they want to like shoot me out, you know, run me out of the town and they want to take me and put me out. Like he never did that. He knew what was going on and yet he walked in authority and peace, love and truth. So never underestimate the power of obedience. It builds something in you over time that stands, right, that doesn't get taken out by the weeds. And I want to close right now with this. One more question for you and me. Are we willing? Are you willing today to come to God and surrender all of your motives and goals? James, could you come up and just play a little bit? Sorry. Are you willing to come to God? Even if all the years that you've lived, all the time that you've known the Lord, Check yourself. I have to check myself. Am I willing to come to God and say, God, I surrender it all? Just like we sang today. That was awesome. That It was right in my heart. Just, am I willing to surrender? Are we willing to surrender? It's not that you get saved over and over again, right? We've done that, young people. Sometimes you get saved every Wednesday night. <laughs> I've <laughs> struggled with that, thinking, oh, I'm not saved. And, uh, but... It's not about that. It's just saying, oh, God, you've shown me again that there's more for me. If 
if I let go, if there's more for me if I surrender and obey. Are you willing still? Or I pray that your heart hasn't gotten so calloused that you don't see his direction, you don't see his purpose. You see every day as a drag instead of seeing that every day as an opportunity and a hope and a joy. Simply to know him. It's not like you're waking up saying, I'm claiming it. I'm going to have an awesome day. I'm going to make money and I'm going to do that. No. Don't get weird <laughs> with being a Christian. You get up to know the Lord. You get up to follow him into whatever he leads you to. And if one day we are in the end times and we are suffering, we should not shake. Because we got up to know him that day. We got up to share the light of the gospel that day. We got up to be truth and walk as a witness and not just waiting for everything to work out. Are you willing to put off the former way of life? The selfish thoughts that, and motives that we all struggle with and are honestly probably the most natural to us. Right? It's natural to feel when someone attacks you to get defensive and want to retort with something back. Right? It's natural to want to get ahead and take care of your family. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes at the expense of what Christ has called us to, we can't do it. Can't go there. Are we willing to put off the old and take on the new? If someone here has never heard that level of the truth of gospel and, and you feel in your heart, I really want to give my life to Jesus, you can do that right now. Because sometimes you've been in church many years and you've never fully heard his requirement. Hey, take off the old. Surrender to me everything. Make me Lord of your life. And then you're going to live. So I don't care how churched you are. <laughs> you may not have ever come to Jesus this way. Let's just be real. And I want you guys to close your eyes. Because we want to honor the opportunity for someone to say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus today. And with every eye closed, not because we're shamed, it's because we want to honor the moment and let you have the courage to put your hand up. Say, I want Jesus. I've never asked him in my life like that. If that's you, raise your hand. No one's looking but me. Even if you've grown up in church, you've never really gone beyond a salvation prayer years and years ago. You can raise your hand to the Lord and say, I want you, Jesus. Transform my life. When I came to Jesus, I remember, keeping your eyes shut, guys. When I came to Jesus, I remember my heart pounding and saying, I don't know what this guy's talking about, but my heart is pounding. I don't know what's going on. I know my life has to change. If that's you, you can raise your hand. Because I've, I've seen the fruit of doing that. <laughs> change my life. Thank you. You see, God's not standing there saying finally. He's saying finally. Same word, right? He's saying yes. I want you in my life. As much as God knows so many billions of souls, over all these generations, he's excited to know you. He's excited to know me. So real quick, those of you that raise your hands, and we're going to join you. Let's do this right now. Let's seal it. Say, Lord Jesus, 
I realize you came for me because you loved me and you don't want to see me perish. I put my faith in you. I believe in you, Jesus. Take off the old self, the sinful part of my life, and make me new in your righteousness today. I surrender everything. And Holy Spirit, fill my life. Teach me how to live for Jesus. I surrender everything in your name. Amen. All right. Seal the deal. And it's a journey, guys, that gets better and better if you start to follow him and seek him. Now listen, everyone here that didn't raise their hand, I know you're believers, and so I want to challenge you today. He's looking for a perfect, spotless bride that makes it to the end. He wants us to all have good soil. And so I challenge you today, take the things that we said, that the word of God told you today, and say, God, I want to... I want to live like that. I want to take off the old. I want to put on the new. And I know we're getting a little bit late in time, but I want to encourage you. If you feel like, I know I've been really not doing this. I've really allowed this stuff in my life. Again, it's not about showing, being in front of people, but I do encourage you. The altars are here for a reason. It's for us to surrender and say, God, I come and I lay myself before you. And I say, God, purify my heart. Set a new, renew a right spirit within me. Right? And so we're going to play for just a short minute, but I want to encourage you. Come on up here. If you want someone to pray with you to kind of reset that heart, then do it. I'll stay up here and I'll pray with you. If anything, I want you to go home and say, all right, God, let's reset this bad boy. Let's do it. I'm going to live for you today. Let your word awaken me. Let me start these little things that you've spoken my heart to do and obey them. And I know every one of us have those things the Holy Spirit spoken in our hearts. To step up our devotion time, right? To forgive the person we've been struggling to forgive them. Call somebody we haven't called in forever. <laughs> it's okay. Just walk it with the Lord. He's going to give you the strength to do all these things. You don't have to, like, make some huge goal that you're never going to accomplish on your own. It's just starting with the Lord every day and, and staying with it. But I want to open up the altars if you want to do that. And let's pray one more time and then be closed. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for what Paul was bold enough to write, the gospel into our hearts, to challenge us to not live like the darkened world anymore, but to live in your light. And I pray for every believer in this room that, Lord, you would rekindle their passion if, if they're struggling, if they're not walking in their fullness, if they don't understand how much you care about them. Even though they've been a Christian, Lord, I pray that you would awaken them with your word and your truth. Lord, that we would see our identity through your love and through what you did on the cross for us and what you do every day for us. I break condemnation off of anyone here that's been living in that mindset, thinking that they're not good enough to get anywhere, that they're not, God's not going to pick them for anything because, because they mess up so much. That is a lie. He created you on purpose. He created you for a purpose. So Lord, we pray that the truth would get in us and we could walk this out. And Lord, that we could produce great harvest in our lives 
160, 30 times what was sown into us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you guys for hearing me out. Hope you have an awesome week. And next week, I think Pastor James is up. So, All right, if, if you want to pray, we'll, we'll be up here to pray with you.